You are listening to True Insights, an educational podcast series for Australian health professionals brought to you by True Relationships and Reproductive Health, covering topics on reproductive health, sexual health and preventative health. True Insights aims to support clinicians in their ongoing care of their community. Before we start, we would like to acknowledge the First Nations people of Australia and pay our respects to Elders, both past, present and future. In this episode, we will look at the importance of contact tracing during antenatal care. You will be given practical examples of the process that you can apply in your workplace. Your hosts are Monica Vitali, nurse practitioner and nurse educator at True Relationships and Reproductive Health, and Ruth Casey from Queensland Health. My name is Monica Vitali, and I'm a nurse practitioner and nurse educator specialising in sexual and reproductive health. I work as a nurse practitioner in Brisbane South and for True Relationships and Reproductive Health. Joining me in this discussion today is Ruth Casey, also a nurse practitioner and midwife for Ipswich Sexual Health and Bloodborne Virus Service, Queensland Health. Thanks for joining us today, Ruth. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Monica, for the opportunity to talk with you today. During today's podcast, we will explore the process of contact tracing with a focus on antenatal care. The aim is for antenatal clinicians to not only be aware of contact tracing, but also gain a practical insight into the process so they can gain confidence in applying these skills in their workplace. From our podcast focusing on syphilis, we know that there is a current syphilis outbreak in Queensland and much of Australia as well, with increasing numbers of congenital syphilis. We also know that congenital syphilis, whilst easily acquired, is also very easily prevented through early detection, treatment and management. This brings us to today's topic of contact tracing. Ruth, are you able to tell us a little bit about contact tracing? Sure, Monica. Contact tracing is a process of identifying and notifying the relevant contacts of a person with an infectious disease, otherwise known as an index client. Ensuring they are aware of their exposure and the need for them to access urgent testing and treatment. This process takes place with many infections. A current example of such an infection would be coronavirus. How important is contact tracing when you have a pregnant client who has been diagnosed with an STI such as syphilis? Contact tracing is always important regardless of pregnancy status. However, when someone is pregnant and diagnosed with a STI such as syphilis, it becomes very important and time-critical to prevent transmission and possible reinfection. This is because syphilis can be passed from the mother to an unborn baby via the placenta, causing congenital syphilis. This can be a life-threatening condition for babies and people may not be aware of this. Hmm, okay, so I guess we can see that finding an index client's sexual partners and notifying them that they need to be tested and treated is really important. Who takes the lead for this and how do they go about contact tracing? Great question, Monica. It can be difficult to know who should initiate contact tracing. Essentially, it is best practice that the diagnosing clinician or the clinician responsible for the continuing care of the pregnant index client talk to them about contact tracing and how it might be done. Who will actually notify each sexual contact is something that should be discussed and agreed upon by the diagnosing clinician and the index client. It may be mutually decided that the client themselves will contact their own sexual contacts and inform them that they will require testing and treatment. This is referred to as client referral. Or it may be decided that there is a particular partner 
that the index client does not wish to notify themselves, in which case the diagnosing clinician could then assume the role of contacting their sexual partner. This method is referred to as provider referral. There are also some situations where the provider referral method is recommended, for example with HIV notifications or where the safety of the index client could be at risk. So Ruth, how do you contact a sexual partner? In the clinic I work in, we have a few different ways we can contact sexual partners. We find the contact using a pseudonym. Initially, we would check with the contact person whether it's a good time to talk, assure them of confidentiality and explain why we're calling. We would advise them that they have been named as a possible contact of the particular STI, then discuss symptoms, risk of transmission and the fact that a lot of STIs do not have symptoms. It is important to stress the need for the contact to access STI screening and possible treatment. We would also advise them of their nearest sexual health clinic or advise they attend their GP. Inevitably, the contact asks for the name of the index case, in which case we advise them that we only have names of contacts, not names of index cases. We have to do it this way because Ipswich is a regional town and using a pseudonym aims to eliminate the risk of the person possibly identifying the index case, which is essential for the index case. Depending on what has been discussed and agreed upon with the client, we can contact them anonymously or by name by sending a text, email or letter through the following websites. Letthemknow.org.au or dramadownunder.info. However, this method is not ideal as we have no way of knowing if they have received the message or even acted on it, which is crucial to know when dealing with cases such as syphilis during pregnancy. If we are unable to contact the person by phone, we have made house calls if we know their address. If a client has been diagnosed with an STI, contact tracing is always important. Contact tracing becomes even more important and time critical when the infected client is also pregnant. An STI like syphilis can be passed from the mother to the baby and can cause life-threatening conditions if left undiagnosed and untreated. Contact tracing can be done in collaboration and agreement with the client, or it can be done by the clinician on behalf of the client. So Ruth, in terms of STIs, who needs to be notified? Who needs to be notified depends on the actual STI. For chlamydia, we need to know all their sexual contacts in the past six months. For gonorrhea, all their sexual contacts in the past two months. For primary syphilis, we need to know all their sexual contacts in the last three months plus the duration of symptoms, if any. For secondary syphilis, all their sexual contacts in the last six months plus duration of symptoms, if any. For early latent syphilis, which is syphilis of less than two years duration, all their sexual contacts in the last 12 months. For late latent syphilis, long-term partners only. For HIV, start with recent sexual or needle-sharing partners, then go back as far as the onset of risky behaviour or last known negative HIV test result, if known. This could involve many months, if not years, of tracing back. Well, that's a lot of information there, Ruth. In terms of syphilis during pregnancy, what sort of information do you require from the index client 
to assist in identifying who needs to be notified. For syphilis in pregnancy, we need to know all their sexual contacts and their contact details if they have them. And just to reiterate, contact tracing is required in primary syphilis for all their sexual contacts in the last three months plus duration of symptoms. In secondary syphilis, all their sexual contacts in the past six months plus duration of symptoms. In early latent syphilis, all their sexual contacts in the last 12 months. For late latent syphilis, long-term partners only. Right, so notifying contacts of syphilis through the contact tracing process depends on the stage of infection at the time of diagnosis. What sort of information do you provide or discuss with a pregnant client when discussing contact tracing? Well, Monica, we know that maternal syphilis is thought to increase the risk of vertical transmission of HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. And in the absence of effective treatment, adverse pregnancy outcomes can occur. And it's important to explain to pregnant women what these outcomes may be. They could experience a second trimester miscarriage or stillbirth. They could experience a neonatal death at term. They may have a preterm or a low birth weight newborn. And we know the rates of transmission to babies born to women with untreated syphilis are estimated to be about 70% for primary and secondary syphilis, 40% for early latent syphilis, and 10% for late latent syphilis. There are also longer-term implications if untreated. Babies who actually survive to 30 days are likely to develop symptoms of congenital syphilis, including neurological and developmental delays and or musculoskeletal problems. So with that in mind, clients should be informed that sexual contacts that are infected may be asymptomatic and unaware of their infection, possible serious complications for partners if they are not tested and treated. The risk of reinfection is a high probability if partners are not tested and treated and the risk of congenital syphilis potentially causes miscarriage and death of the unborn baby is also high. We always advise no sexual contacts for seven days after treatment is administered. We also advise no sex with partners from the past three months with primary syphilis and the past six months with secondary syphilis until they know that the partners have been tested and treated. It is also recommended, according to the Syphilis in Pregnancy Guidelines, that retesting should occur at several intervals during antenatal care when someone has been found to be at a high risk of infection or has had a positive diagnosis. People who have an STI may be asymptomatic and unaware of their infection, inadvertently increasing the risk of infection to others, including unborn babies during pregnancy. Contact tracing is important in stopping transmission and reinfection of sexually transmissible infections. I can see how this information is really important during pregnancy care. What are some challenges when discussing contract tracing that you've had with clients, Ruth? Well, I had a case where a young pregnant woman presented with primary syphilis. She was concerned about informing her partner. So I arranged for her to bring her partner in with her for an appointment and I was able to explain what the condition was, ease his concern about how it was contracted, treat him as a contact on the day and advise him of the need to avoid condomless vaginal, anal and oral intercourse for seven days. And the required follow-up for retesting 
at three months, six months and 12 months to ensure treatment success. In another situation, I had a pregnant woman who identified as Aboriginal who did not want to notify a previous partner of her diagnosis. So I utilised our advanced Aboriginal health workers who have a network of contacts throughout Queensland. They were able to locate the partner and assist with him receiving testing and treatment without breaking the index case's confidentiality. However, probably the biggest challenges we face is that the index case may not have contact details for all their sexual partners and in some cases, for example when dating apps are used, sexual contacts, names and details may not even be known. I can see how this could be quite challenging. How have you managed to overcome these barriers and do you have any tips for clinicians? Well, we have used Facebook to try and identify a partner, but we never make contact through Facebook. I know that HIV public health are linked into apps like Grindr and Tinder to identify and locate contacts. The Australasian Contact Tracing Manual aims to provide practical support and guidance to healthcare providers to enhance the effectiveness of partner notification. This resource will be accessible on the Ask course page. The Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service can assist clinicians with contact tracing on a case-to-case basis and provide advice on how to tackle complex cases. The HIV Public Health Unit are a wonderful resource for assisting with contact tracing for HIV as they can meet the index case, if appropriate, and discuss the importance of contact tracing and also assist with ensuring the index's confidentiality. With regards to other STIs, it is helpful if the name and contact details of contacts is available, but any information about the contact may assist with contact tracing. It is always important to stress to the index the possibility of reinfection and the importance of STI prevention in future, both for their health and the health of any sexual partners they may have. If women are concerned about their safety in advising sexual partners of diagnosis, there is a Queensland Government service available called DV Connect Women's Line and it is in these situations we would utilise provider referral to protect the client as much as possible. Their phone number is 1800 811 811. There is also a non-government organisation called 1800 Respect. Their phone number is 1800 737-732. There are lots of useful access points there, Ruth. Are there any examples you could share with us of how you inquire about someone's sexual partners when initiating contact tracing? Do you have any tips on how to best achieve trust and build rapport with a client when discussing such intimate details? Discussing intimate details with a client is definitely a learned skill, but the more frequently you question patients, the easier it gets. Reassuring confidentiality is vital, as well as maintaining a poker face. Asking the questions just like you would ask about general health in a clinic setting. When I have a patient in my clinic room, I ask the following questions. Do you have sex with men, women or both? When was your most recent sexual contact? How many sexual partners have you had in the last three months, six months and 12 months? and the types of sexual contact, vaginal, anal or oral. Do you use condoms when having sex? It is necessary to ask if they use condoms for all forms of sexual penetration, as some will use condoms for anal and vaginal sex, but not for oral sex. 
Another question we would ask is, do you feel safe and comfortable to notify your sexual partners of your diagnosis and need for testing? Or would you prefer me to help you with this? I can also refer you to an appropriate clinic that specialises in contact tracing while maintaining your confidentiality. Yes, I can see how important it is to ensure client safety at all times when discussing contact tracing. Syphilis, we know, is quite a complex infection. And if, as an antenatal clinician, you are concerned about a pregnant client, perhaps they also have a complex or challenging history or social network, then it might be daunting to initiate the contact tracing process. There are several avenues that clinicians can access for help. Ruth, given your experience with contact tracing, are you able to advise who clinicians can reach out to for support and assistance with contact tracing? Yes, of course. As mentioned earlier, the Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service can assist with contact tracing for syphilis. Referral to a sexual health clinic within Antenatal Clinicians District. There are 16 Queensland Health sexual health clinics spread throughout the state. Quite often a phone call is all that is required to get assistance from the sexual health clinic staff. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health services throughout Queensland can also be of assistance in locating contacts. That's a great point, Ruth. The Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service is a fantastic service that was established to improve the accuracy of syphilis reporting, monitoring, management, as well as providing support to clinicians on the ground, all aiming to reduce the incidence of syphilis and congenital syphilis within our communities. You will find the Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service details for both North Queensland and South Queensland available on the Ask Resource Hub, as well as on the Queensland Health website. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of our discussion today. Thank you, Ruth, for your time and joining us from Ipswich Sexual Health and Bloodborne Virus Queensland Health. Thank you, Monica, for the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you to everyone that joined us for this podcast that explored contact tracing for syphilis and other STIs. We hope you found this information useful and now feel more confident in initiating contact tracing with your clients. To access any resources or websites mentioned today, please head to the Ask course page. This podcast has been brought to you by True Relationships and Reproductive Health in collaboration with the Communicable Diseases Branch, Queensland Health. This episode is part of a greater educational package called Antenatal Sexual Health Kit, or ASK, funded by Queensland Health. ASK aims to provide up-to-date practical information, resources and tools to support antenatal clinicians complete sexual health assessments and contact tracing to optimise pregnancy outcomes, reduce fetal mortality and morbidity. To gain access to the complete educational package, register online today at www.true.org.au backslash ASK. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to True Insights wherever you get your podcasts. You can write to us at info at true.org.au and you can connect with us on our social media at True Clinics or at True Educate on Facebook or at TrueOrgAU on Twitter and Instagram. True Relationships and Reproductive Health is a profit-for-purpose organisation specialising in community gynaecology, reproductive and sexual health clinical education and relationships and sexuality education. True would like to thank our clinicians and our expert panel of contributors that helped to make this show possible.